Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. Welcome back to Good Humans Podcast. This is episode number 51. We've made it to the back half of the first century. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm beyond overwhelmed by the amount of support this podcast has been getting, the growth it has seen over the last few months. I cannot thank you all enough for sharing it around, getting around the incredible humans that have been sharing their stories. I know I'm learning so much and there's so many of you learning alongside me. So thank you. If you are new here, welcome. It's great to have you here. Please hit that follow and subscribe button, five star. If you keep coming back, thank you so much and make sure you leave us a review. It means so much to me. Also, if you do want to support what I do with the Good Human Factor a little bit more, I thought I'd let you all know about my new merch that I dropped uh, this week. It's the Gratitude Range. Everyone who listens to this podcast knows how much I love gratitude. And I wanted to make some merch to let the community who supports the Good Human Factory have a way to support the workshops that I do. So every single item sold on the goodhumanfactory.com, I do a free workshop for a student. All the merch sold, I put down little tallies and I have a big list now where I can go and do free workshops at schools on behalf of you incredible people. Over the last year, I've done workshops for over a thousand students for free thanks to this. And yeah, make sure you check it out. It's pretty cool, the new gratitude stuff. It's about inspiring people around us to reflect on what they're grateful for. Have a look on the website. The link will be in the show notes. Use the code podcast for 25% off. So I really do appreciate everyone's support. It's a way that I can keep this podcast going. I've done so many episodes all for free now to help you all out. So I'd really appreciate if you checked out the merch. It means the world to me and I put a lot of work into it. So thanks so much for that. Today's episode. Oh, I'm so, I had so much fun talking to this guy. I find him very fascinating. I think he's had a story that is so authentic and beautiful and his way of articulating his journey, but then also understanding his own mind, his own body, his own emotions. He's a, a, he's a massive step above so many people his age. He did just win the bronze medal at the recent Olympics over in Tokyo for boxing. This guy's name's Harry Garside. He is a guy that I'm really looking forward to hopefully continuing our friendship. I see a lot of similarities in both of us in wanting to be positive influence on those people around us. So let's jump straight into it. Welcome to Good Humans Podcast, Harry Garside. How you going, man? Yeah, mate. Thanks for having me on. Man, it's an absolute pleasure. It's an honor to have you on. It's been really cool watching your journey from the outside looking in. And I have been very excited to one day have this conversation. And man, I reached out to you on social media like a week ago. I think you ta- I tagged you in a story going, I'd love to have Harry on one day. And you're like, let's do it, man. And a week later, here we are. So let's, um, let's re- actually, the first question I ask everyone is, what, do, what are you grateful for? That's okay. So I, I practice this every day, um, mm. gratitude after reading the resilience project book. Not sure if you've heard of it, but yeah, um, I spoke to Hugh yesterday. Oh, no, no way. I was uh, asking his podcast about two weeks ago. He's a champion. Oh yeah. I, I'm like, 
same as kind of how I, sorry, I took away from your gratitude. I'll tell this story real quickly though. Same as how I kind of admire what you do from the outside. It's crazy how connected social media is. Hugh's someone who I really look up to with the work that I do, doing school workshops and building the business and the entrepreneur side of the resilience project too really fascinates me the way he's done it. And his book is very similar to my journey reading how he's like, Oh, I didn't think I was going to do it. I couldn't get any workshops. And then it all clicked for me. It's like very similar to the path I'm on right now. So where this story is going is I tagged him on an Instagram like two days ago. Cause I talked about his recent book, let go on one of my recent episodes and tagged him. And he re- replied to it going like, Oh, I'm going to go listen to this. Like, and I was like, man, I can't believe you responded like huge fan of everything you do. And he's like, bro, I'm a huge fan of what you do. And I was like, Oh, no way. So like, I'm going to catch up with him soon, hopefully. But anyway, let's, um, let's go back to you. What are you grateful for? Yeah. Just one thing on that little tangent again, I just, I feel like the older generation, especially they trash phones. But the best thing about phones is everything is at our fingertips. Mm. Where if we use it properly and we use it in a way that serves us, we're not serving the phone. Mm. I think it's so beautiful. We're connected. There's so much positive, like positivity on phones. Everything's at your fingertips. Yeah. And you just got to use it and you just got to be really conscious about how you use it. Like, it's awareness. Yeah. All awareness. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So all my grateful, I practice this daily and it's always three things that I journal at the end of the day. Mm. And it's, I like to be specific to my day. So one thing that I'm grateful for so far, I got a coffee this morning at my favorite coffee place near my place. And I just have a conversation. I've built a bit of a relationship with, with the lady behind. She always knows my order. I've moved, I moved here a few months ago and we're just starting to become, and I just had like a really good conversation with her this morning. It was the first time where it was just a little bit more in depth and found out a little bit more about her story. Uh, and she also asked, asked a few questions about my story. So we've had a relationship in the sense of like, I go there to get coffee every day on mm. most days. Uh, but today was the first time where there wasn't as many customers. So we could actually have like a, a bit of a genuine chat. So that's something that I'm grateful for today so far. I love that. It's, it's so pure. I love how aware you are of that. You can just see, like, just speaking to you, you're so wise and you have such a crazy deep thinking pattern and your awareness around that is so beautiful. And I'm very similar. I practice gratitude every single day. Um, I'm sure you'll probably see if you follow me on Instagram. Now I post a story every night with three things I'm grateful for and encourage my community to get involved too. So man, gratitude, very powerful thing. I just like to start that because it's funny. It generally comes back somewhere throughout the podcast. So I like to start with it, but let's um let's get to know your story a bit. I've listened to a bunch of your other podcasts. You've been very active on telling your story to people and the quite common is around the Olympics and the Com games, but I want to get to know you a bit better. So let's rewind. Where'd you grow up? Where were you born? And what was your upbringing like as a kid? Let's say sort of before you got to high school. I tell you one thing that I actually spoke to my partner about. I'm, I'm so grateful that in a sense, I get the opportunity to understand my story and tell it and really discover more because of opportunities like this. So I, I love delving into and telling my story more so because yes, people might get something out of it, but then also I get to understand it more and grow from it. So um, mm. for me, I'm the youngest of three boys. I grew up in a, in a smaller town. It's like, end of the train line, um, everyone's working class. It's still suburbia, but it's like the one of the last suburbs uh, in, in Victoria, a place called Lilydale. Had like a, what I felt, it's, it's really hard to sort of tell. The older I get, the more that I realised my childhood was actually quite chaotic. But growing up, I remember having a lot of positivity and in the sense of like, 
my parents are two beautiful people. My brothers are really kind-hearted. Yes, we bickered, we, we fought, just like any siblings do. Um, but I, I generally felt loved. I felt cared for um, by my parents and by my brothers. Always felt pretty protected. But I must admit, I felt pretty different to my two older brothers and my dad. Didn't have many females in my life besides my mum and I always just felt a little bit more connected to my mom's energy, what she was doing and, and not so much what my brothers and my dad were doing. And because of that, I felt I lacked a little bit of respect from my dad and my brothers. And um, yeah, at the age of nine, because I felt like I wasn't the stereotypical male of the area, I started boxing because that's what males are supposed to do. They're supposed to be tough and, and manly. And, mm. and I didn't feel like that. So I walked into the boxing gym at the age of nine and met my coach, who's still my coach today, Brian, and and uh, fell in love with the sport and fell in love with him very quickly. So, and I guess the the rest is history, man. Yeah, I love that. We're going to continue to go through this story because there's so much to unpack. What was school like for you? It's something that I haven't seen come up in many of your other interviews. What was your relationship relationship like with? at high school like how was high school for you what'd you learn or what sort of values did you feel were instilled in you from that young age yeah that's that's an interesting question so for me as I mentioned before I felt different to my two older brothers and they went to the same primary school as me so I entered primary school and I almost felt there was this role pushed on me like Mm. teachers thought I was going to be a certain way just like my brothers who were getting out kicked out of class and playing up and doing stuff like that and I felt that was kind of pushed to me like, Oh, here comes another gas side. So I felt this almost like a little bit of pressure to, to be a certain person. And, and I'm not going to lie. I played that pretty much from, from prep when I was five years old up until probably the age of 16. Um, so I played that role of being like saying stupid stuff, being the larrikin of the group, getting kicked out of class, being a little bit of a rat bag and looking back on my life as a 24, 25 year old, it almost like ate me alive. Like it made me a little bit tight and, and restricted. And it's because I truly wasn't being my, my most authentic self. I was almost playing a bit of a role. So um, if you ask any of my teachers, I, I didn't get along with most of them. Um, there was a couple who I, I genuinely still have a relationship with now. It's because I feel like they knew that I was playing a role and they, they almost gave me the time of day and treated me like a good person and, and they, they made me feel good. And they're the teachers who they message me on Facebook every now and then now. And I always still talk to them and stuff like that. But I was, I'm not going to lie. I was just, I was a little bit of a rat bag because I was playing a role of what I thought society wanted me to be. Mm. I really love that. That just like line of you saying that, because while you were talking, I was really reflecting on myself and I kind of feel quite similar in a way. And hear me out, this is where the good human factory came from. I had this desire and this understanding of who I was, but I wasn't authentically being it. There was times where I was doing things just to impress my mates. And you know, when you feel like this isn't me, but I'm doing it just because that's what I think is expected of me. That's like this real deep underlying why of the good human factory, that voice that tells you this isn't you. And that's what I'm trying to build with the Good Human Factory is just people to be authentic and be able to be themselves. And that's why I'm so inspired what you do. Your authenticity and vulnerability around some of the stuff you do, I take my hat off you to you because it's so raw and honest and it's just being yourself and not many people are doing that. So yeah, I love the way that you said that because I think it really sets up for the rest of your story and the way that you've presented yourself to be so authentic since... Yeah, it, look, it looks like since after leaving high school. Does that make sense to you? 
Yeah, no, of course, and and and, and I'll be completely honest, mate. I'm, I'm I'm a straight shooter, and I say exactly what I what I what I think. Like I still slip up now. Oh, me too. Absolutely. Because so, like I, I honestly I could go on all these podcasts, and yes, of course, it's a, it's part of, but it's like I'm I'm. It's like you you're around certain people from your childhood, mm. and I'll catch myself, but I'm a lot more conscious and aware now. But yeah, I'll catch myself saying things that I would have said when I was 16. I'm 25, and I'm like. In certain environments, I slip up, but I'm just, I'm catching myself quicker. I'm, I'm not laughing at the jokes that I usually laugh at. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I'll, I'm not perfect. And, oh. and, I slip up and, and I think that's important to say because I feel often when I listen to podcasts, I like will listen to the guy's story. I'm like, wow, this guy's amazing. This person's amazing. And, and just knowing that we're all human. And we mm. all grow up and we're not perfect. And that's the beauty of, I think, being a human is is how messy it is. But then also just like understanding that I feel like we both would always catch ourselves, try and grow from it, try and yeah. if we do slip up. That's the most important thing. Yeah, I love that. That idea of catching yourself and taking accountability is a massive one. So many people try and put blame. And I just reflected real quickly on the you saying that. I caught myself doing that recently in a way and this will probably relate in the randomest way ever, but I was out with some friends. I'm actually not drinking at the moment. I'm like six weeks sober into a year, but we're out having dinner. And these girls were that were hanging out with, were doing like some sort of dumb stuff and I didn't film it. And then the next day I spoke, spoke to some friends and they're like, Oh, why didn't you film it? Why didn't you film it? And I was like, to be honest, like, it's kind of like, they wouldn't have wanted me to be filming them doing that. So I didn't film it. Like, and then I, and that was just the way you reflected on that. I was like catching myself. Like, and then they, and it was cool. All my mates were kind of like, Oh yeah. Like, so it's nice to try and lead by example and just catch it. And like, don't get me wrong. I probably six months ago or a year ago might've filmed it. And it's just like constantly keeping yourself accountable and catching yourself and being like, you know what? I can be better yeah that's that's so true man i always find as well like for a male and where i grew up i don't know if it's the same for every other male but the this the community that i grew up in it's like around just males it's like they're always joking and having fun and taking the piss out of each other and taking the piss out of other people but then one-on-one they all want to know how like how do you do gratitude how do you do meditation, mindfulness? Um, what are some podcasters into every male when I'm on a one-on-one basis with them, my mates that I grew up with, they all want to know. Mm. I just feel like as males, I love the male culture. There is, of course, some really bad and negative traits to it, but that's just like any culture. But I feel like we have this longing. We want to know. Males want to know this information. We've just got to try our best to like... Drop the <laughs> ego. Do it in group settings. Do it in mm. group settings rather than just one-on-one. Yeah, I'm feeling it. It's so cool to hear someone like yourself talk like that because like you said, all of our friends, everyone's curious and interested in this world of like mindfulness and gratitude and stuff that might have been looked at as feminine sort of energy years ago. I think it is changing. And, and I think it's changing because people like myself and yourself are letting people know how good it makes you feel. It's like this science is literally there. Like you told me before we spoke, um, before we started recording that you listened to Nicole, um, my neuroscientist friend. And when she talks about this idea of showing gratitude and being kind to people releases happiness chemicals and makes you a happier person. And at the end of the day, everyone's goal should be to be healthy and happy. And one way to achieve that is through gratitude and mindfulness. They're both free, yet we're all looking for happiness through things that we purchase. It's already there. 
Yeah, so true, man. So yeah, true. man, we can talk about this stuff forever, but let's get into let's get into boxing. Um, what sort of box? What sort of feeling does boxing bring for you? I just want to start with that because I think it's important to precursor with how does it make you feel when you get in a boxing ring? Yeah, so there's there's many different things as so the physical act of boxing, like for me, it's the most purest form of meditation. Mm, so there's nothing there's nothing else in that moment that matters. I'm just focusing on what's happening in front of me. Before a fight, I can see the beads of sweat dripping from my opponent's face. I can I can see his chest beating. It's because I'm so heightened in that moment and the emotion is so raw. Um, and I, as I said, it's, it's the most purest form of meditation. So that's the physical act of boxing, what it does for me. It's a beautiful, beautiful feeling. The whole world is silent. I'm a massive mm. overthinker. I overanalyze everything. Um, and for me, that 10 minutes, half an hour, however long it is of boxing I do daily is the most beautiful time. So, um, yeah, but then also as well, like, as I mentioned, part of my story, like I didn't feel like my brothers or like the stereotypical male growing up. So I feel like when I started, boxing gave me an identity that I was longing for. It almost mm. instantly, people think you're a boxer. They instantly think you're tougher when it's not true at all. Um, but like it's the, the idea people have in their heads. So I think as a young person, that's what boxing gave me. But the, the physical feeling is, is something else. Yeah, it just sounds like you're so present. I'm the biggest pussy ever. I don't think I've ever thrown a punch even at a person. But I do massively respect the art of boxing. I think martial arts is such a pure form of, for one, respect between humans. That's something that I see with martial, like with con, uh, contact sport, contact sports, sport? fighting sport, combat, combat. That was there. That's close. <laughs> um, is the respect that generally comes with it? I think is really special. But then this idea of being very present and it comes up so often with a lot of my guests from being surfers to when you're in the ocean, you're so present to anybody who reaches a flow state, finds this complete presence. And so often it does come through sport as a vehicle and boxing. I can imagine like there's so much on the line from getting injured to your own performance. It's such a special thing watching people hop into a ring and I've got so much admiration and respect for what you do. Let's talk about your career. When you finished high school, were you, all right, I'm a boxer. This is my goal path because I don't understand it completely, the idea of amateur to professional and the Olympics path compared to the path that we see guys like Floyd Mayweather and Jake Paul. It's a bad person to bring up, but those sort of people throwing boxing like big events compared to the more amateur side of it. When did you choose boxing as a career path? Were you always pretty confident in it? Yeah, so I was actually like... I was, it's not like I was terrible, but like I, I lost more fights than I had won up until the age of 17. Um, I was at a national level. I was pretty average. I was like mid pack and, and I just never really won anything of significance. And I really wanted that national title had no success. Um, in year 12, I finally won my first national title. Um, and then like left school and I, and I left school, I finished year 12 and I left school and become a roof tiler with my dad. Uh, very physical trade. <laughs> I'm having to wake up in the morning, go for runs, do all that I needed to for boxing because that was an Olympic year. 2016 was the Olympic year. Yeah. And I was waking up in the morning, going for runs. Then I'll work all day as a roof tiler. And then I'd go to the boxing gym at night. And I just watched my boxing just slowly come down 
um, and my, the quality and I wasn't growing or progressing as much. It was just getting worse because roof tiling was really taking it out of me. So um, I had a really hard conversation with my dad and, and I said, like, I really want to chase my dream and follow my dream. And um, yeah, I stopped working, working for him and I, I become a plumber. It was a little bit better working with my brother and, and it was a little bit better on my body and had a little bit more flexibility. So um, it was always boxing. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to achieve. I would just have jobs that gave me money in order so I could box. So my philosophy was always, if it works for boxing, it works for me. So I don't really care what I was doing. As long as I was paying my bills and living above water, as long as it enabled me to box, I didn't care what I was doing. And that was my philosophy for 2016 and 2017. Yeah. I love hearing that. It's so nice to hear how much dedication comes with it. I relate to that a lot, actually. I, I'm sure you probably don't know too much about surfing, but I was lucky enough to be sponsored up until I was about 23. And then I lost my major sponsor and had to spend about four years doing either surf coaching or I did two years on a building site doing like a laborer, basically did a year of landscaping just to fund to go to the next surf comp. And it just makes you more appreciative, I think. And I'm sure you probably felt the same way once now that you're probably in a more of a position where you probably don't work anymore due to, the sheer volume of commitments that you have and obviously the level that you've risen to, but it does make you feel probably more grateful now that you do have the success you do that you had to go through those years of working. Does it? Yeah. It's, it's so important, man. And I was lucky as well in 2016, I, I lived in the Philippines for three months. Um, so that was, that was purely for boxing. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that experience in itself was, was so humbling in the sense like we literally slept on the floor there was no there was no bed um it was yeah it was just super third world and coming from a place of australia like like i had a pretty sheltered childhood man like yeah we traveled a fair bit i was pretty grateful for in my childhood but to live somewhere in the philippines where they're the most beautiful people in the world and and you just wake up every day and you would train and you would you just be grateful for the little things in life like you're grateful for the a good lunch or something like that or um and that that was like it was almost like a coming of age thing first year out of high school and and living there boxing and, and living with some of the best boxes amateur boxes in the world that was such a as i said coming of age moment where i was like man this is what life's about like and I come back to Australia and, and I feel like that honestly changed my perspective on a lot of things. So, mm. um, yeah, of course I still have struggles. I still have emotions and feelings while I'm in Australia, but I just have a little bit more of perspective in the sense of like, they don't get me down as much. Um, I can reflect and catch myself more from that one experience of living in the Philippines. Mm. I bet you relate so much to Hugh Van Kylenberg's obviously it was, I think we spoke about right at the start, his book, his first book that, um, yeah, yeah, I bet you would have got so much like kind of related so much to that. And I'm very lucky myself traveling all around the world for surfing. Seeing other cultures really does magnify how much we should be grateful for here in Australia, just the opportunities we do have. So yeah, anyone who doesn't get to travel, try your best to save some money, go to a third world country, do some volunteering or just get out of your comfort zone. And like you said, like it's going to, really change your view on the world and not enough people go do that so big shout out to everyone make sure i mean i obviously know traveling can be expensive and it can be hard but if you can work your ass off to save a bit of money and travel i highly encourage it 
Let's talk about 2018 Com Games. So you said you finished school. You did 2016, trying to um, do some training over in the Philippines. You're working a bit for your dad, then your brother. So what, you do a year of work and then Com Games 2018? Yeah, so I was pretty much working all through 2016, 2017, um, and then 20, 2018 where the Com Games was. I had I had the rest of the time off, so Sick. focusing on the games and um, yeah, it was like I failed to make the Rio Olympics in 2016. So I was 18 years old, heartbroken, didn't fully understand how to deal with those emotions at 18 years old. All I ever wanted to do was go to the Olympics, and then I failed and all the negative thoughts that of course come after failure, you start questioning yourself a lot more. And looking back now, I'm so grateful I did qualify because <laughs> I feel like it just put me on a four year trajectory into the, or five years, sorry, into 2021. And um, 2018, the Com Games was just like a moment where I was like, I knew that I could medal and I knew, I truly believed I could win a gold. I just had to dedicate every ounce of myself to, um, to, to that goal. And, um, I went through my first ever breakup that was like heartbreaking just before that. And, uh, my brother had just come out with a drug addiction and there was a lot happening. My, my coach was actually a little bit sick and my, my, there was just a lot happening in my life and I had to actually move away from home and I moved away from home, uh, end of 2017. Um, so just between Christmas and new years, I moved, moved to the AIS Australian Institute of Sport up in Canberra and, I spent the next four months away from family and friends and, and just training my ass off, really focusing on, on my goal and, and going internal and making sure that I was growing and evolving and, um, and trying my best to just really focus on that goal. And, and I finally got there and I felt the feeling I felt before the actual game started. I looked myself in the mirror knowing that I never once turned my back on myself in the last four months. I, mm. I really put everything into it and and it was almost like I'd already won regardless of the result and that feeling is is quite amazing in the sense of like when you can truly look yourself in the mirror no lies no bullshit and mm. just know that you never cheated yourself you showed up to every session and gave everything you had and it's like whatever happens now it's just left up to the boxing gods and, and I've done everything I possibly can and uh, and thankfully I, I took out the gold medal Man, it's so cool to hear the dedication and the removal of distractions that it took to get there. And what, you're 19 at the time, 20? 20, yeah, 20. Yeah, like so young. Like you got to be so proud of the mindset and the sheer determination you had at such a young age because, I mean, we all know the sort of distractions that are around when you're 19 and 20-year-old young male growing up. There's plenty to go on. Like you touched on, you went through a breakup and, far out that's i reckon before you turn 20 breakups are the gnarliest thing ever <laughs> I remember one of my girlfriends like oh my god some of the stuff i did during the breakup time that i would look back at and i'm like Fuck, there's no way i'd not waste my time but put that much energy and internal like explosions in my head as i did back then but let, let's go to this Com Games. I want to talk about that gold medal because I know you're a very patriotic person. It came out a lot in the Olympics where we got to see a lot more of who you are with a lot more attention on the Tokyo Olympics. But during the Com Games, how was it for you watching that Olympic, the Australian flag come up behind you when you get to sing the national anthem? It's got to be pretty special. Yeah, that, that still to date is the probably proudest sporting moment that I've had. Mm. Um, just just on home soil being so young 
I think as well when you're when you're 20, like you're just so brazen and and young and and it was my first ever multi-sport major event and representing our beautiful country. It was just, it was just amazing. So to, um, to share that moment with, with some mates who, who flew up the night before from back home, they were bloody blind. They were pouring beers on me after the fight and stuff like that. But, and then sharing that as well, of course, with the two most important people to me, my mum and dad, uh, it was, it was something else made. And, it was the first time in my life I've never I've never sang the national anthem. It's just because I was overwhelmed with emotion. So, um, yeah, it was a beautiful moment, mate. I'll never forget it. I love that. It's such a special, obviously, part of your career, but also just a special time for Australia. I know boxing has had its ups and downs in Australia, and it seems like we're in a pretty strong place now. Your medal at this Olympics was, what, the first medal in 33 years for Australia. So we're going to talk about that or last year's Olympics. I can never tell with the bloody Tokyo Olympics anymore. No one knows when they're on. <laughs> Are they the 2020 or 2021? I want to quickly, before we go into um, the Tokyo Olympics, get to know a little more about boxing because between amateur and professional, it's something that I feel like I have a little bit of an idea, but I can tell you right now that a percentage of my audience might not have much of an idea the difference between amateur and professional because there is quite a big difference yeah yeah so there's a few significant difference differences uh the so amateurs is based on the tournaments so you'll fight two three four five times in a tournament and it's mm. like tennis it's like a knockout you lose you're out and you're representing your country that's probably the biggest thing when you turn professional you're more so representing yourself yeah um and the big difference you get paid as a professional athlete you don't get paid as an amateur athlete. So um, when you say paid, do you mean prize money or can you still get endorsements as sponsors and stuff if you're an amateur yeah, athlete? Yeah, you can still get endorsements. I know a few people overseas, they definitely um, they definitely still get a salary and stuff like that um, in some countries. But in Australia, it was really difficult in the sense of trying to get sponsors because you couldn't wear their logo like you can in the pros. There's just so many differences and stuff like that. That's just getting off on a bit of a tangent. No, no. I think I like this tangent because it, it intrigues me, the idea of making money in sport, because I have got a, quite a few Olympian friends in sports that like surfing is a professional sport. So I don't really know much differently, but people like swimmers and um, people whose AIS have budget, like did the box, do you get paid by the Oz boxing team or anything? Or like, do they just expect you to work full time to win medals for the country, but you don't make any money? Yeah, so in 2016, trying to, I was 18 years old, first year out of high school. It cost me close to 15, 15, 20K to try and qualify for the Olympics and I didn't even qualify. So um, that's when I wasn't on the funding list and it was, yeah. Yeah, and it was challenging. And like, you can never really put a price on your dream. No. Um, but of course, yeah, it was challenging. It was, there's, there's no way about it, no way around it. But um through my, my efforts in 2016 and 2017, I, I thankfully got put on the funding list. So yeah. they then paid for trips. Um, they didn't give you a salary, but they paid for trips. So that's... that's training too, because I can imagine coaching and stuff like that can become expensive too if you're training multiple times a week. Yeah, so lucky boxing is one of those sports where it's like, I actually paid my, my coach. I pay him a lot more now because I'm on a bit, bit yeah. more money. I paid him $5 my whole life $5 per session so that's 25 bucks a week Monday to Friday that is nothing compared to other sports so I was, what really, a legend. I was really fortunate in that and as I said I'm paying him a lot more now he's a pensioner he's, he's 79 <laughs> this year so um but yeah boxing it was it was tough financially and 
the reality is compared to other sports, yes, we still got funding from the from the Oz government and stuff like that, but we weren't winning medals. So all the all, most of the funding were going to the sports and the athletes that were winning the medals. Yeah. And that's totally fair. They, they are winning the medals. They deserve the funding. Can but I bring something up there real quickly about that? Because I spoke to um, Ben Tudhope, who just got Paralympian of the year. His episode actually came out today while we're recording this. You've got to go check it out. Incredible guy. He got Australian Paralympian of the year. Won bronze, actually. I'll have back-to-back weeks of bronze medalists um, in the border cross. But what he said was, it's quite funny that, not funny, I get it, but that the funding goes to the previous gold medalist, it makes it very hard for emerging sports and emerging people to get there because they don't have the funding. And I get like backing the track record of the country, but yeah, it's just an interesting point. It's like the athletes who need the funding the most who are standing out in their thing generally don't get it if their sport isn't one of the top sports. Yeah, I, t- I totally I totally agree, man. But like in the sense of like, genuinely and and i'm not trying to make myself sound like a big man or, or some amazing mm. like a genuine thought that was coming through my head because i had been in the system for four years um the amateur system and i was like we just weren't getting much funding that was just yeah. and, and i just knew that someone needed to win a medal for this country at the mm. Olympic games yeah i honestly thought there was three or four people on our team that could have medaled it wasn't just me but someone was going to medal and I knew it. And then eventually for the next generation, let's hope they get more funding, especially leading into 2032. So I know not just for myself, but for the team, that was a massive focus because we mm. knew that. We knew if we win a medal at the Olympic Games, hopefully boxing gets more funding. I know that, I know that feeling because I have been in the Surfing Australia sort of house of athletes for 10 years up until this year actually I got dropped which kind of sucked but a lot of my focus doesn't go to surfing now so but they were very like oh we need to medal so like Owen Wright winning the bronze was very crucial for surfing to maintain their funding but yeah it was so cool the last Olympics with like Keegan winning the skating and Logan winning the BMX like the extreme sports have got a pretty big kick but it sounds like boxing hopefully has got a little bit of a kick as well now but let's just go the last because we didn't even get into like the main differences. I think the main difference is kind of that you only fight three rounds. And I didn't think of that. The idea that I was like, Oh, three rounds isn't that big, but you're fighting a tournament where you got to fight five rounds, five, three round fights over a few days. So that's why it's obviously pro fights have that months lead up and then just one fight. And then you're off for months again. Yeah, I, I personally, and, and I personally think amateur boxing is harder. Mm. I personally think that, and I think that's more so because you can never prepare for your opponent. You never know who you're going to yeah. when it starts. Um, the probably quality, there's better boxers than professionals because they get paid. Exactly. Well, they choose that because they want to make money. Of course. People like Canelo, people like Gennady Golovkin, um, Floyd Mayweather. Of course, some of them had gone to the Olympics when they were younger, but the eventual plan is to turn professional and try and make money. And become yeah, yeah. That's the plan, but... I personally think amateur boxing is harder because you're fighting different styles of people. It's um, it's tournament based, so you have to make weight every single day. There's just so many differences that I think. Are really and you've only got three rounds to win the win the fight too. Like if you drop a round just because you have an off three minutes, mm. close to game over. Yeah, bad luck. Yeah. Mm, no, nah, super interesting. No, nah, thanks for breaking that down because I think that um explains a lot going into Tokyo a bit more. What was it like for you? For one, having the 
training schedule get interrupted by COVID? Because did you find out you were in the Olympics prior to COVID happening? Like was team selected before COVID hit? Because I know a lot of athletes were like, yep, we're in the team, then COVID hit and it kind of threw a big spanner. Or for you was um, selection during the middle of COVID? So I had the weirdest selection. So there were six boxers who qualified for the Olympics. So there's only six boxes in your weight division. As you know, so I'm saying six boxes in Australia. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so we had six Australians qualify. And and every, the five others besides myself, they qualified right at the start of COVID. So they, okay. they just before COVID started and they qualified and amazing, fantastic. Good how did they qualify? Because I know yours was different, but how did they qualify? Through winning a fight or a tournament? Yeah. or? So we have two opportunities as athletes. I think it's changed now for the next Olympics with boxes. So you go through Asia, the Asian, Asian Oceania qualifiers. Um, there's some great boxing countries in Asia. Um, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Mongolia, this goes on. Um, and then we have one more opportunity after that. But five of the boxers qualified, five Australian boxers qualified at the Asian qualifiers. And then we had one more opportunity. And we go home, we're preparing for the next, next tournament and COVID hits. The tournament gets, the last opportunity to qualify gets cancelled. And then for me, man, my world was in tatters. Like I was yeah. in a dark place in the sense of like, all I focused on from um, from missing out of 2016 was was making 2020 Olympics and the uncertainty of like, is the Olympics going to happen? Am I going to get an opportunity to qualify? Is my Olympic dream over? That was like probably the toughest three months of my life. I'm not going to lie. And um, yeah, thankfully at the start of 2020, I still remember exactly where I was. 2021, sorry. I, um, I luckily found out that I had qualified by a message um, from the national coach. And that, that feeling was, was, was something else, man. And um, yeah, I'll never, I'll cry to myself. And, and I had a moment, I was just like, thankfully I get the opportunity to represent our country at, at the mm. biggest event possible. But two quick questions from that. Cause man, it's so special hearing you and just even seeing your face when you talk about that. The first question is, why did you miss out in that first one? If you're good enough to obviously win a bronze medal at the Olympics, how did you miss out to not get that opportunity in the first qualifying? And then why did you get the spot from the coach post? Was it because the event got cancelled and they're like, all right, we've still got spots that we need to give and then you were the next highest ranked. But why did you miss out on the other one? Did you just lose some fights and that was it? Yeah, so I, um, I lost two fights at the Asian qualifiers. And if I had won both of them, I would have qualified. So... The first, so I won my first fight against Thailand. I moved to the, I think it was round of 16, if I remember correctly. And then I versed Uzbekistan. If I had won that, I was going to the Olympics. Uh. I, I lost um, to the eventual gold medalist of that tournament. And then I versed in the next fight, it was a box off. Whoever wins this goes to the Olympics against, <sighs> India, against India. A guy who I'd beaten at the Commonwealth Games in the final. So we had a bit, a bit of a rivalry. And, and yeah, he, he beat me on a split decision and it was, he got me at the one that counts because yes, Commonwealth Games is amazing, but the Olympic Games is the pinnacle. So he got yeah. me, he got me at the one that counts and um, yeah, it was, it was so heartbreaking, mate. I just remember that moment, like looking back now, this sounds a little bit psychotic, but um, I was in, I just dropped to the ground when I got out the back and I, I'm, I've never, have you ever heard a human howl? 
it often happens when mm. when someone when someone dies yeah, and yeah. Something like that. i was howling it was the worst feeling that i could imagine and looking back now on that moment there's some beautifulness in that there's some beautifulness of that howling it shows how much you care yeah it was just it was such a raw moment in in my life and um it was probably the darkest moment i've had personally but just there's so much beauty and rawness and authenticity in that moment that you know, I'll cherish forever. And, um, and then the second question, I got the spot because of my ranking, my world ranking was quite high. So um, it was in the top 10. Um, and luckily, yeah, I got given the spot because my ranking was high enough. That's amazing. How did you deal with that once you came back from those games? And in your mind, you haven't qualified for the Olympics. How do you maintain? Did you think there was hope for maybe you had that other event? Yeah. And then it got canceled. So you're like, all right, I've got one more shot. Like what's, what was going through your mind preparing for that event? Yeah. So I, I was literally just all, all guns are blazing. Like as soon as I got home, I was just training my ass off to be honest. And and really focusing on on the next event and that's all i was really focusing on and once that got cancelled that was about two and a half weeks after i had got home so i had two and a half weeks to just like head down us up really focusing on training and and then i found out that it had been cancelled and the next probably two months after that man we're, we're pretty like pretty shit out dark just mm. really dark we obviously went into a pretty hardcore lockdown in melbourne that's where i was based at the time and yeah, it was just, it was a really dark time in my life, to be honest. Yeah. Mm. How'd you manage it? What were some things that you did? There's, there's a few things like in the sense of like, I'm a big one. I like to have a goal. So yeah. my meaning and purpose. So I, I started training for a marathon at the end of the two months, but I'm not going to lie, man. I found it really difficult and I have a lot of empathy for people who are going through depression or mental health issues because it's hard to get out of it, man. It's really difficult. And um, people try close to you, people try and help you. But it's one of those things like, like for me personally, like I just, there was just a day where I was just like, I've fucking had enough of this. Like I, I, I want to feel like how I felt a year ago. Um, mm. and yeah, I, I think for me, a big one is, is setting a goal, an achievable goal. And I started training for a marathon and um, yeah, just started like cleaning up my life a little bit more. There was a little bit of substance abuse in that, in those two months, drinking, playing up um, and stuff like that. And, and yeah, just clean my life up, dedicated myself to this goal. And um, yeah, that's something that really helped me personally. No, I love that. I think the idea of setting a goal to get yourself out of somewhere is really important. And thanks for sharing that. It's nice to have someone who can be so vulnerable and roll with that. Let's talk about Tokyo now. So you get the news, you're into Tokyo what's that year like not knowing if it's going to be on in 2020 because i remember being in the surf sort of environment i had a bit of an idea of this like is it going to be on this year are they going to let us do it without the crowd i don't know and then it gets put postponed how's that it's so hard to prepare for an event at the best and i know boxing is even harder because you guys are trying to make a weight what was that like 2020 for you once you found out yeah it was it was pretty full-on and i think just like this, I'm the type of person, mate, I always try my best to look at things as an opportunity yeah. rather than a problem. And like looking back at 2020, yes, it was shit. And it would have been amazing if life was just normal. But I got to spend so much quality time with my mum and my dad and my brother um, that I hadn't spent in the last sort of five years because I had just been 
boxing overseas and traveling a lot and focusing on my goals. So I was, I was really grateful in the sense that I got to spend some time with my mom, dad, my brother. And um, yeah, it was, it was nice, but like, luckily in, in September, I believe it was September, 2020 um, boxing Australia took all the Melbourne athletes that were in a severe lockdown. They took mm-hmm. us out of Melbourne and they shipped us up to the Gold Coast. So um, I had to quarantine for two weeks in Darwin. And then we went to the Gold Coast and I pretty much lived there for like on and off for about six, seven, eight months. So it was, it was just a really good Gold Coast in itself. It's just like you're instantly happier because it's sunnier. <laughs> so for um, someone coming from a Melbourne lockdown, it was just, it was the best place to go mentally. Yeah, I mean, I love. I wish I ran into you when you were up here. It was a weird time up here around that time of the year too, because I, I live up on the Gold Coast. But all right, let's talk about Tokyo now. They've got the date set. You're getting on that plane. Gold medals, obviously, in your mind. One thing I want to quickly touch on because this interested me. Do you know your draw? Is it based on seeding? Do you have a pretty good idea of who you're going to draw? Because no, or is it random? It's random. So four people get seated, but there's 28 boxes. So okay, um, yeah, it's pretty unlikely that you're going to draw one of the number one seeds. You might, who knows, but it's, it's done just out of a, pretty much out of a hat. Um, wow. so and that's where the draw works. So you might have like, you see that? The, you could draw the best guy first up or you could draw the worst guy. It's just luck of the draw, really. See, that really interests me on the idea of like the meddling because it's like, if there's four seeds, are they generally meant to medal? But boxing, you know, like obviously you know better than anyone what boxing is like. And then once it tightens into three rounds, like so much pressure in every fight. What was your mindset going into the first fight? Let's go first fight. First fight was against Papua New Guinea. And I had actually sparred him once before. Um, I knew he punched like an absolute steam train. <laughs> I've had the heaviest hands, but... I um I was I was quite confident after the preparation that I had had um, that I was capable of, my my ability was capable of beating him but also knew that Olympic Games the pressure dreamt about this moment for a long time mm. going to be too much um, but once I got in there the first thirty seconds I knew that I was feeling good and I was like this is my time and I had a similar moment to the Com Games before the Olympics had started where I looked myself in the mirror and. I had so many ups and downs in my preparation as everyone always does. And my hand, I actually had a hand injury and I couldn't throw my hand for three months in 2021. Um, And that was sort of playing in the back of my mind and stuff like that. But I knew that regardless of my hand and everything else that was happening in my life, I had literally dedicated my whole life to this and, and everything, every ounce of myself to that moment. So I felt good. And as I said, after 30 seconds of the first fight, I felt really comfortable and connected to myself. And I felt like I was winning the fight. I love that. So you, so you win your first one moving throughout the draw. Cause I mean, I know what it's like being a surfer. Our draws are seated, but then you end up versing different people throughout that are a bit harder or mismatched to you. Looking back at your draw, was it quite matched to your boxing? Do you feel like, or was it? Um, did was there was there one or two that stood out? Because how many fights do you have to get to? Do do you lose a semi final and then fight a bronze medal match? No, so boxing is the only sport where two athletes get a bronze medal. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, so the quarterfinal. I so was the the second fight I fought Jonas Jonas. He was the number two seed. Wow, really good and. Um, I just knew 
I believed in myself. I truly mm. did. There many reasons as to why. And I love my dad to bits. But he said something to me after the Commonwealth Games. Jonas Jonas won the 64 division. And I won the 60 division. And just after I'd won it, my dad said to me, geez, that Jonas Jonas is good. And he sort of took away from my moment of winning the Com Games. And I, like in that moment, I felt a little bit hurt. I was like, well, am I not good enough? Like, mm. that's how I felt in that moment. And I always wanted to fight him after that because I wanted to prove to my dad that, hey, like, I'm, I'm, I can beat um, him. Man. Oh, how good that feel beating him? Was that a kind of, because you, you said at the start, you felt like maybe you didn't fit in that much with your dad and your brothers. Was that a pretty good moment when you beat him in the quarters? Yeah, it was, it was an amazing moment. I never once said anything to my dad, but it's more the look in the eyes. Like, I always know it, you know what I mean? Mm. And, and as I said, my dad is a really beautiful man, but sometimes your family and friends say things that are out of line sometimes and they hurt. But sometimes they don't even know. That's the thing. Like, he probably was just saying it like, oh, you should check, watch his stuff a bit more because he's a good fighter. Like, it's crazy. Like, And the way that we interpret information, and I know you're big on this, like your self-awareness and interpreting what information you take and what you leave like yeah it's crazy as a kid it's like it's not what happens to you it's how you interpret what happens to you that mm. affect the rest of your life and it's so interesting man and um yeah in that moment i i interpreted that and it hurt so i i was really grateful that i got to fight him and and lucky luck or not luckily like i um yeah managed to get the win and had a good performance and the third fight was I thought the second fight was going to be harder than the third. The third fight against the Kazakh was a really close one and, and it was a really big challenge. And um, yeah, it was one of those fights, split decision. This is for a medal. And oh, that's huge. How's yeah. that feel when your hand gets risen that you know you're getting a medal? Yeah, it was, there was a, like, I don't know if you saw it, but that was a scream twice. It was just mm. letting out a little bit of raw emotion. But I don't know if you can see it. I can see it because I was in the moment, but. Like I instantly, I can see in my brain, I'm just like two more to go. I want that gold medal. And that was, there was five seconds of elation, but then it was instantly back focusing on the next fight. Yeah. I love that. That was what I kind of preluded to a little earlier for before the idea of like the way that you held yourself through that games and the post fight, I was about to say post heat interviews, the post fight interviews, <laughs> too much surfing in my mind. The post fight interviews, you just seem so focused and you seem so dedicated to that goal and, although you didn't come into the uh, to the Olympics as a top four seed, it looked like you knew or you thought you were going to win. What was that semi-final like when you lost? Because it's a huge achievement winning a bronze medal, but you, you've said this multiple times before in interviews, you don't win a bronze medal, you get given a bronze medal, you win a gold medal. What was that like losing in the semi-final? Because it like obviously to everyone else around the world and to Australian boxing, it's a massive achievement and you should be so proud of it. How does it sit with you? Yeah, it's a failure, mate. And and it was the months after that, I pretty much went numb from the moment that I'd lost in the semifinal. Uh, probably for, I'd say about six weeks, I went numb. And the only thing that brought me back to life was was um, seeing my partner. And that was, that was about six weeks later. So, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting, mate, because everyone's tapping you on the back and patting you on the back and celebrating you and um, going, geez, that's amazing. But to yourself, it's like, like fuck, man, I, like I failed. That and close, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it's, 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 it's one of those things. And, and I think anyone who's in a high-performance environment, whether that be an athlete or a, a businessman or whatever it is, 
whatever, like whatever you do, if you're in a high performance environment, you need to have this mindset. Mm. You want to be the best at whatever you do. You have to have that mindset, whatever the pinnacle is in your environment. For me, it was the Olympic gold medal. And right now it's being unified champion of the world. It's like, if, if it's anything less than the pinnacle, you can do better. Mm. Train harder, be better, like push yourself to a new limit until you reach that goal. And it was, it was tough and it was challenging because everyone's celebrating you. And I'm like, man, you're celebrating someone who lost. Like I, I found it really difficult to accept. accept. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's a really interesting reflection. What would you say to someone? Cause I actually just did a workshop at a school and this question came up with someone. Um, the idea of when you're bet, if you give your absolute best and it's not good enough, how does that sit with you? There's, there's almost, because for a lot of people, for every single person, except for the winner of the tournament, their best isn't good enough. Yeah, there's there's beautiful beautifulness in the sense of like, as I said, prior to the Olympics and Com Games, I looked myself in the mirror knowing that I never never turned my back on myself. And mm. I had already won in that moment, regardless, yeah. of, regard, regardless of the result. And if, if you truly have given your best, then that's all you can ever expect of yourself. You can't exactly. expect yourself. I can't expect myself to run a 9.500 meters. Like I can try my best and whatever. That is. That's, all you, that's all I can physically do. Yeah. yeah, I can improve. Yes, I can get better. Um, but at the same time, it's like that gold medal is the pinnacle. And it's like, I try my hardest. I try my best. Yeah. I'm proud of myself for that, but I can do better. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, what's what's on the horizon now is 2024 London, London, Paris, 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 Paris and London, then uh, Brizzy. Hey, yeah. is that on the cards for you? Because what's the next stepping stone? This really intrigues me. The idea of because I relate to this whole idea of going pro to golf, where it's like once you go pro, you can't go back from amateur to pro. Boxing's different. What's the next steps for you? Obviously, you've just won an Australian title. You defended it. Not to mention you fought like 30 days after you fight to fight the next one. You're a madman. How's there been the change for you going from amateur to professional, from going three-round fights to big round, like 12-round fights or 10-round fights? Sorry, I'm not a, I should have done more boxing research. I watch a lot of mixed martial arts in UFC and I've been watching a few of your fights and a bunch of boxing. Like I was telling you off air before that one of your training partners at your gym Mateo is um, a great friend of mine so I have so much respect and admiration for what you do but it's so confusing there's so many levels and different stuff going on like yeah got your like IBF title in Australasia and Oceania and world title like there's so much going on so it is quite hard to follow what's the next step for you have you taken that next step towards pro now obviously yeah so the way I've always looked at it in the sense of like the proudest moment still to date is is representing yeah i feel that moment, but representing our country like i'm so patriotic i love that um but the way i've always looked at it is the amateurs is like an apprenticeship you you look at the best boxers in the world Floyd mayweather Muhammad ali andre ward lomachenko um list goes on roy jones jr they all went to the olympics they won a medal for their country they then turned professional and then become some of the best boxers in the world. And mm. I've always, I'm pretty old school with my belief system in the sense of like, I've dedicated all my life or five, six years of my life to making the Olympics. And then I made it. I won a medal for our country. Now I'm turning professional. And the aim now is to become the unified champion of the world. 
trying to become one of the best boxers Australia's ever produced. And that's, that's mm. the aim now, for sure. Can you go back and compete in amateur if you're a professional, a bo- professional boxer? Yeah, you can, absolutely. So I, I did say that to my team uh, when I turned professional. I said, I want the door to still be open for the Olympics because I've got unfinished business. Why do more, why do more um, boxers, because it's a big title to have, if you think professional boxers are better or do you think it kind of turns into a bit different of a sport only being three rounds and stuff because just you explaining that i'm just sort of going on a bit of a tangent here but winning an olympic gold medal is a thing that everybody no matter who you are on the planet would love to do why is there not more boxers that i wouldn't even call it step back take a step to the side and go you know what i'm going to focus on the olympics for this is it a different sport do you think in a way that at three rounds you only you're fighting in a tournament like you think it's different? Why do not more step across? Well, they only just recently changed the rule. So 2016, okay. 2016 was the first Olympics. So okay. Two Olympics. And to be honest, this is my, my, my genuine answer. I truly believe in my whole heart that people like Canelo would get beaten by some of the top level amateurs. So it's like a massive punch to the reputation as you instantly turn professional and I think it's because of the names. People instantly think that I'm a better boxer because I've turned professional now. No. To be honest, I've almost got worse. I'll be, completely, I'll be completely honest because I was fighting people in like Andy Cruz in the amateurs who like literally punched the shit out of me for three hours. <laughs> and I've turned professional. I think people instantly think you're better when it's like I truly believe because they're two different sports. If some of the top level amateur professionals turned back and went to the Olympics, they would potentially get beaten by some of the top amateurs. Yeah, I truly believe that. Yeah, I can see that as well because those guys are training for a certain fighter for a 10 round fight for ages. If you're going into a tournament and you've got to fight three different people who fight very differently, it's a lot more to have to adapt and overcome. And it sounds like there's maybe less ego in. amateur boxing it sounds like the young professional boxers that go straight into it who haven't really had losses who get their kind of early part of their career greased up so they can get some easy fights and get the um reputation there you know what i mean the um record good wouldn't have that humility to like it sounds like you've lost plenty of fights in that amateur career because you're fighting so frequently against different opponents and you've only got those three rounds to make it happen yeah, absolutely, mate. And the reality is professional boxing is a business. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, and it's, it's part of it. Like, yes, of course, they're amazing boxers. And I love watching some of the top level professionals. They're the best. Mm. But it's all about making this, the community and people believe that they are the best. So then mm. they watch. It's a business. Yeah. That's how they get paid. So yeah, um, that's why there's so many different belts. The IBO, IBF, IKBF 24. <laughs> like, there's just so many goals because it's a business. It's all yeah. making this all a business. So um, it's been challenging in the sense of like, for me, I've always boxed because I love the sport. I love the feeling it gives me. I love trying to search for more in myself. It's been an interesting transition in the sense of like, now I've turned professional. It's realistically about like making your reputation good and earning money and becoming a world champion. Mm. Like, it's not so much about like pushing yourself and, 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 and fighting people. You know what I mean? It's, it's more about like building something. Yeah. It, it's been an interesting sort of uh, change of mindset in my mind. No, it's really interesting you way you describe that. And it's so, cause I feel like most people listening and most people who have a, probably my understanding of boxing 
see it just from the professional side and think the word amateur comes in and you think, oh, they're just a level below, but it's like, no, it's its own thing. I, I think a lot of people will feel quite educated from having the, from this conversation we're having right now. I definitely do. I feel like I've changed my opinion and learned so much from you so far. We do have a couple of things that I really, really want to talk about because your authenticity and your ability to step outside of your comfort zone and own it has been fucking incredible to watch. Talk to me about ballet. Yeah, ballet, like, honestly, for me, I've always wanted to try it. But as I mentioned, I felt like I was pretty scared to tell my dad and my brothers that I wanted to try ballet. Like, I already felt a little bit different to them. and um, But finally, in 2019, I started it. And, and it's one of the best things. And I think any form of dance will help any athlete, but also any human. So mm. it's it almost like uh, me and my partner, we did a contemporary class. And ballet is pretty strict and rigid. But when I did the contemporary class, me and my me and my girlfriend, we walked out and we felt electric because it's like, it's almost like quite, I don't know what the word, primitive because how we used to communicate was through dance and song. And uh, when I when I did that contemporary dance class, like the feeling after was quite amazing. And I highly encourage and recommend that anyone does a sort of dance class, whether it be tap, jazz, hip hop, ballet, whatever it is. And and just feel yourself in that moment, how nervous you feel before it, mm. and then the feeling of growth after it. Oh, you've inspired me. I'm going to give it a go. It's something that I'm like, I've got two left feet. I'm so uncoordinated <laughs> when it comes to, oh, for, well, maybe we'll go dance today, together one day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I found that fascinating because I think when somebody sees somebody like you, like you're a boxer, the stereotype of a boxer, man, I'm sure you've been battling how that feels with identity for a long time. How liberating does it feel for you to do stuff like box and paint your nails? And I think you wore like a skirt to uh, Mardi Gras and stuff. Like, I think it's so admirable by your ability to not care what people think. How does it, yeah, how does that sit with you? Yeah, I think for me, mate, I'm just, one of the biggest things we probably haven't mentioned in this podcast was the Reach Foundation Enter My Life. They're a foundation for young people. They come to my school when I was 16 and, and through the process of, that was very pivotal in my life. And through the process of being involved with them for years after I was 16, I really delved into myself and, and learned to love myself for the good, the bad and the ugly. And it's just, it's more like living in your truth and expressing yourself however you see fit. And, and as long as you're not hurting anyone else, like you truly don't have to explain yourself to anyone. Mm. Not even your family, not your friends. If it feels right to you, if something is your calling, if something feels right and you're expressing yourself, then I think that is how we're supposed to live our life. And I'm just building more and more courage and understanding more about myself. What do I like? What do I want to do? And, um, and I just, I'm super passionate about young people and I just want more young people to do that too, because I truly think from the age of five to, to 18, when we're in school, like they are the most transformative years we go through so many stages we're trying so many things and i think the more things that you can try throughout that period the more that you'll figure out about yourself and you'll find out what is your calling yeah and it's so sad even to think back to how we talked at the start how much you were just trying to fit in and i feel like i was the same and if we're both saying it i can guarantee there's a huge majority almost of people who aren't living their authentic self, even adults, a huge majority of adults definitely aren't because we're all trying to fit in. We're all trying to, but I love that way that you said just then that you don't have to 
it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks except for you. If you're happy, just do it. And I think a lot of people will get a lot out of that. I get a lot out of that. And so a quote that I love, and this is something that I think you'll really like, I don't know if you've heard it before. You might've have read the book. There's a book called um, the confidence gap by a guy called Russ Harris. And one of the quotes that I live by is the act of confidence comes before the feeling of confidence. And I just love that quote, this idea that if you just go into a situation and you're like, you know, own it, like, fuck, what's the worst that's going to happen? You generally like the feeling starts coming and so many people are waiting for that feeling to come and don't take any step in the direction because they're like, oh, no, nah, fuck, this is scary. Yeah, that's, um, there's something similar. I think they're quite similar quotes with something that I always say. It's like, fake it until you become yeah. it. Yeah, fake, fake it till you make it. it. You hear it. that? Yeah. Fake it till you make it. Fake it until you become it. So it's yeah. like, in the sense of like, for me, if I believe I'm going to be world champion, it's like truly believe that until mm. you become that, embody it, embody every ounce of that until you are living that life. Yeah. And it takes practice. And something that I've seen you doing recently is this practice of becoming uncomfortable. I'm sure you've probably read, um, uh, can't hurt me by David Goggins. You seem like a person that's definitely read can't hurt me. Uh, there's so many great books out there. This idea of like overcoming obstacles and it does take practice. Tell me about what you've been doing lately, this idea of stepping out of your comfort zone. You've been doing challenges every month, doing something you're not comfortable with. Yeah, I've been doing that since the start of 2019. So it's <sighs> been three, almost three and a half years and I've done so many tough challenges. I had some really hard conversations with my loved ones. Um, we'll make up for a day, 50 hours, no talking. Um, last month I did window washing at the light, at the lights, uh, improv class, the list goes on. There's so many that I've done and, each challenge, some harder than others, but each challenge, I've learned something new about myself and about the world. And someone taught me when I was younger that the, the most growth, I think as humans, what we do is like once we're in a comfortable situation because we're survival beings, we want to stay in there. Mm. We're survival beings and we're made to survive. I think once we're comfortable, then we stay. We stay comfortable. And a lot of, my, a lot of people I grew up with, they're just in the same routine because it's comfortable. Mm. And, and I must admit, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to live your life like that, that's fine. But the way we get the, the most growth as a human is to push ourselves out of our comfort zone. And through each challenge, as I said, I've just watched myself grow and figure out more about myself and about the world. And like about, about dancing, as I said before, I think that's such a good challenge. It will make 99% of people uncomfortable just doing a dance class by yourself. And I highly encourage anyone to do it. Mm, yeah your like lack of ego is so inspiring it's really cool like you've obviously had such great successes but you still want more but you're also like fuck i don't really care what people think about me i'm just gonna do whatever makes me happy in like the most authentic positive growing as yourself way some people have that mindset and do it in a way that it's hurting people and ripping people off and like trying to get themselves ahead ahead of other people whereas you can see just the way that you hold yourself that it's just all about how can I be a better person every day when I wake up? And it's, it's fucking sick to watch, man. Um, I don't know if you know Peter Bowl, but he was at 100 meter runner at the Olympics. And he said this one comment and I love it. He said, we're all just human at the end of the day. And, and mm. that, like, I truly, I truly, it's, it's almost like, it's quite amazing that since the Olympics, people look at me different, treat me different. Once they find out who I am or what I do, but it's like, like I'm no different to that young kid who used to wait in line for Andrew Gaze to sign my sneakers. I'm no different to that, that kid who was scared and timid as a five-year-old boy. Like, like we're all still just like the same people. And I feel like 
we've got to stop sort of putting people up on a pedestal because of who they are or what they do. Like we're all just mm-hmm. human. We're all capable of amazing things. Oh, absolutely. And like listening, thinking back to this whole conversation we've had, to be completely honest, the thing that inspires me and the thing that I think is the most dope about you is the fact that you dance and the fact that you go and do these challenges. And that's something that anybody can do. Obviously, everybody can't go to the Olympics, but the most fascinating and inspiring things I think about you have nothing really to do with boxing. I think that's really cool. And I think people can take that from your story it doesn't take to be a top sports star, to be a good human, to have these opportunities. You just have to build into your schedule, place for these opportunities. Yeah. You, just have, grow. you have to always just have that growth mindset. Of like, mm. And the reality is we all grow. We all grow, but it's like at the pace that you choose to grow at. Mm. If you want to grow slowly, then hey, that's fine. But if you choose to make a conscious decision to wake up every day and you will fuck up some days, you will screw up some days and, and like, that's okay. But as long as you're growing from that moment, mm. that's all that and that's the thing, that's the awareness and kind of enjoying the failures and enjoying the mistakes. Like I literally like, cause I went from like professional surfing my whole career to what, two years ago, I'm 28 now, like 26. I kind of started the good human factor in the podcast. I'm so excited and have so much fun every day because I like wake up and I fuck something up and then I have to like try and redo it. And then I have to like try and network with someone else to learn how to do something. And then, all the stuff that I've learned now, it's like every day, it's just this learning. And I feel like I'm like a 14 year old kid learning to surf again, where this hyper growth is coming, but it's because I'm like putting myself in situations and not being disappointed when I fail. It's like, there's uh, there's like one path to change direction a little bit. I think it it was Kobe Bryant or was a basketball player of some sort. They said, fail forward. Mm. forward. Instead of looking at failure, like it's such a bad thing. Like, all the beautifulness in my life has always come from on the back end of a breakup or a failure or something. And I think you got to stop trying to look at it. Yes, of course, we don't want misery. We don't want pain, but there's always so much beauty and opportunity that comes from them. Yeah, absolutely. What's the future looking for like for you? I've got this question and then one last one I'll finish with, but what's, um, what's coming up for you? What are you looking at doing over the next year, two years, Olympics in a couple of years, potentially again, what's the goals? Yeah, the big focus now, mate, I've got a bit of a hand injury right now. I've had it for, for pretty much since the Olympics, prior to the Olympics, I had an injury and then I had surgery and I've, I've had a bit of an injury since. And I'm just at the moment, uh, at a bit of a rest from boxing and just doing a lot of running and uh, and stuff like that, um, just to stay fit. But I've got a few more weeks, uh, no more punching. And then I think my next fight will be end of August, which is, I'm, I'm excited to get back in there, mate. I love fighting and um hoping to be world rated in the next 12 to 18 months and then of course fighting for world titles in the next two years and um yeah that that's the plan now i'm only 24 turning 25 and um just excited man i'm still very young in my career and i I can't wait to to sort of get stuck stuck into the next five years and um the olympics in in two years time is definitely still in my mind um but it just there's there's a few things that um play into if i'll if i'll do it or not or if i'll try to do it um obviously people like the national coach who i have a massive relationship with if he's still the national coach then i'll 100 go back if he's not i have to see who the new national coach is and uh, and stuff like that yeah relationships are important one quick one how are you finding it fighting professional longer rounds compared to the short is it is it different like way different for you the cardio yeah i've I've always been a cardio athlete so actually i had to teach myself to like the first sort of eight years of my boxing career from from 10 to to 18 
I found it really hard. I always lost the first first round and then um, had to come back in the second and third because I'm, I'm an endurance athlete and always have been. I start slow, finish strong. Um, so, yeah, I, I much prefer the professionals with, with the 10, 12 rounds. Perfect. Much prefer, which is great. But, of course, at the same time, it's it's challenging. It's tough. Like you go and you're up, you're up fighting for thirty six minutes in a twelve round fight. So it's um there's a lot of punishment on your body, but you've got to also do the preparation and training for that. Yeah, I'm frothing. I'm gonna try and wherever your next fight is, I'm gonna try and come watch. I, I think I've watched a couple. I've got a few friends that have done like some MMA and even watching Mateo fight. And even watching UFC fighters that I've got zero relationship with, just that I like support, the anxiety that I get watching fights is like nothing else. It's so weird. I've never felt it watching anybody else in any other sport, but watching, I just get this anxiety that someone's like going to get hurt. And I'm like, ugh. But now I'm like, I'll call you my mate. Now, now I've got a connection with you. I'm excited to watch. You know, when you get that little bit, it's like when you bet on something, it's like you end up a bit more like emotionally attached, but fuck i can't imagine like i can't imagine what your family must go through having to watch you fight all the time and like my um, uh, mum, she always leaves the venue she um she hates it so um yeah it's challenging for her but at the same time she's getting slowly and slowly more used to it no nah, man i love that well dude this has been incredible getting to have a chat i've been fascinated by your story more so about just the sort of person you are to be honest in your sport and i think that's something to really be proud of so often I speak to amazing athletes who have incredible stories about their sport. But yeah, like I said, what really inspires me about you is just the sort of person you are, which you should be really proud of. But the last question, and I'm so excited to hear your answer to this, is what does being a good human mean to Harry Garside? I think the biggest thing is is being your most authentic self and dedicating dedicating genuine time to growing as a person because the more time you dedicate to yourself, um, the better human you become in your relationships. And that's something that I've only found out in the last three years that for so long, I was just like, I didn't want a relationship. I was, I was just focusing on myself. And I think a good human is someone who is genuinely focusing on growing like on themselves. And then they show up as a better person, whether it be a better dad, a better mom, a better girlfriend, a better boyfriend, or a better son. Um, and that's something that I've really focused on now is being a better human. Yes. For myself, but then also for my relationships. I love that, man. So beautifully answered. I, I can imagine everybody who's close to you in your life has been so proud of your growth, but also really impressed with what you've done with yourself as a human and built on your relationships. So man, it's been incredible to have this chat. Thank you so much. I'm sure everybody has got so much out of this. It's been an absolute honor to chat to you back to back bronze medalist on good humans podcast. It's pretty special for me. So I'm, um, yeah, I'm pumped, man. It's been cool to get to know your story better and yeah, hopefully everybody listening enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it listening right now, please take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram story. It'd be awesome for myself and Harry to see how many of you are enjoying the story, but yeah, thanks so much for jumping on. Has been incredible. Thanks, Legend. This has been a Wellbeing Network podcast. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.